Hello, this is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Clark Grant is in the studio. This week, our guest is Mike Newman. In just a moment, Mike will be with us to tell us what he is up to at Returnity. Also, remember that we are on Facebook, and you can also email us at heartstockradio at gmail.com. And in just a moment, Mike will be with us. This is Heartstock. Thanks for listening. This land was made for you and me As I went walking that ribbon of highway I saw the This is Heartstock Radio and I'm your host Carol Murphy Today our guest is Mike Newman he is the founder of Returnity Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thank you so much for sharing your story with our listeners. Can you give us a little intro here? What is Returnity and, and what is it that you're, you're doing there? Returnity makes reusable shipping and delivery packaging. Uh, we replace single-use cardboard boxes and poly mailer bags that we all are getting so many of these days with something that's Lighter on the planet, uh, more more uh, environmentally friendly, and just a better customer experience. And when you decided to found Returnity, what were some of the things that motivated you to do this with your life? Well, I've been working on environmental issues for my whole career, but as often happens with business, the the motivation <laughs> comes from can come from unusual places. So with Returnity, it actually was. A request from a customer, you know, the the re, the used clothing reseller thread up that a lot of people are familiar with now. Uh, they were buying reusable shopping bags from the predecessor company, and the founder of thread up, James Reinhardt, said, "Boy, I'm buying these reusable shopping bags. Any chance you could make me a reusable shipping bag?" And it was just that that one simple little request that spark, which started us down this road, and, and here we are, three and a half years. Later, thanks to that little spark of motivation. So, you know, the general idea of thinking about reuse and waste and and bags was was there, but the idea to get into shipping packaging really the credit has to go to James, and and you know we're all really thankful for that moment. And what was your uh, professional career like before you decided to found the company? I have I have an environmental policy background, so that's what I studied uh, in college, and I I went straight to Washington uh, from there, and, and mostly working for the Sierra Club, the big environmental grassroots company uh, organization. Sorry, and after five years of working for the Sierra Club and and working with Congress on environmental issues, um, I was, you know, at the time I was kind of sick of getting uh, uh, beat by large corporations <laughs> and and. The halls of Congress and seeing our, you know, our issues not treated with the, the level of focus that I thought that, you know, they deserved and the planet deserved. And so I thought, well, if I can't beat them, I got to learn what what's making them tick. And uh, I love to get an MBA and under, better understand things from the corporate side. And and what I've tried to do since then is really blend those two things together. So take that that grounding that I have in environmental policy and and grassroots work and combine it with what I learned about how to build and run businesses and, and try and find the best of both worlds. And, and Returnity has been an exciting platform for that, where 
you know, we're, we're building a successful business where we can, you know, make money and, and, and uh, reward investors. But more importantly, we're having a real impact on the environment and, and replacing something that is um, wasteful with something that they can be lighter on the planet and, um, and also grow as the, the amount of shipping <laughs> it grows so quickly. Uh, so it's been an exciting way to kind of bring those interests and skills together. Yeah, and I don't want to drift off too far astray here, but I'm, I think given the current events that are occurring in our government, it, it might be worth touching upon why were you getting, getting you know, beat, as you put it? Uh, what exactly are, are, you, are you saying that business runs government, big business runs government, and that's who was beating you? Well, I think that it's no, it's probably no surprise that, you know, money uh, makes the world go round in many respects. And uh, certainly the lobbying budgets of major corporations was significantly higher than what a grassroots group like the Sierra Club could bring to the table. And elected officials, you know, always were wondering where their next ad buy and their, and their election would be. But, you know, I do think it's more than that. I think that uh, you know, the economy and jobs and, and making sure people have a livelihood is a critical, you know, uh, purpose for government. And businesses are very effective at uh, sending the message that they need to have the ability to create and sustain jobs for people. And, and government, you know, elected officials are always going to be very sensitive to that, as they should be. And I think part of what's improved over the last 20 years is the ability to show that sustainability and the economy are not at odds with each other, that, that in fact, you can improve the economy and improve employment opportunities for, for citizens by protecting the planet and by you know, investing in green tech and, and, and new solutions rather than just sort of relying on oil and gas and, and the sort of the past. And so you know, a big part of it, I think, is money, but I think another part of it is understanding how the economy and the environment intersect and how to better tell that story. And, and I think, you know, we're seeing the benefits of that as well. Mm -hmm. Was there something early in life that influenced you to go into environmental work? I, well, I've always been uh, someone who loved the outdoors, uh, but I think it actually, the thing that sort of crystallized it for me was in high school. I had this really uh, sort of, <laughs> in retrospect, uh, important moment at the time. I had no idea, but of course, looking back on it, you sort of see how formative it was. So at my high school, I happened to have back-to-back -back classes one year uh, of science and then uh, gym. And at the time, there was a, a piece of land that was adjacent to my high school that the high school wanted to, it was, it was natural, it was like a, a prairie, and they wanted to turn it into an uh, athletic field. And so I would go to my class my science class and the science teacher who happened to be leading the effort to protect that, that land, to keep it protected, would go on and on about uh, the benefits and, and the challenges of that. And then I would go straight to Jim and, and the athletic director <laughs> would go on and on about how important it was to tear it up and make a ball field out of it. And, you know, at that moment I was, you know, I found myself, even though I was an athlete and I played sports, I was way more sympathetic to the science teacher than the athletic director. And that kind of got me excited and active and motivated. And in retrospect, I, you know, that seemed like one of those important times in life where you realize you could make choices, you realize you could have a voice, you could be active. And, you know, if it wasn't for that happenstance of those bookended 
classes and that moment with the, with that ball field, who knows, but, um, that, that was a moment that, you know, I, I keep coming back to and realize was kind of a, a, a turning point and, and kind of what excited and motivated me. And as that young student, why was it that you thought the science teacher was on the right side? <laughs> Boy, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, you know, I think that it was, it was probably because the school, which had a really profound track, you know, it was a very successful school in Michigan where I grew up. Uh, athletically, but it had a lot of fields, a lot of ball fields already. You know, there was a number of football fields, baseball, soccer, everything. It, it really had quite the athletic campus. And, you know, as I said, I grew up going to camp and, and being outdoors and, and really valuing natural spaces with my family. And, and I think that it just seemed ha- hollow to me, like, you know, this push to just tear some one more, you know, piece of land up seemed uh, it just felt like it, it at the time. Yeah, I don't know if I can give it more motivation. It just, I could just, it just sort of felt like this was uh, short-term thinking, and and you know that was just how my brain was wired. I guess like to to sort of feel sympathy for the environment and to recognize the need for balance. Mm, that's a good word, balance, which I think is a good intro into the next question, which is kind of the the overreaching mission of your company. I mean, this has to do with circularity and is it also linked to plastics? It is, although, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the motivation behind it, but it's been interesting to, and exciting, frankly, to see so much attention now to plastics and the impact of plastics and the opportunity to move past, uh, particularly moving past single use plastics. And, um, you know, I think for, for us and for me personally, it, there's always a risk of what I call sustainability magic thinking. So, you know, this, this appreciation of the impact of plastics in particular and waste and, of course, you know, pulling back more of the, the climate um, and just wanting to do something that's better for the planet. But the, there's a big gap between wanting to do something that's better for the planet and finding scalable sort of cost-effective solutions that can accomplish that. And so, you know, this push away from single-use plastics, which I think is so important, um, also creates some danger because if you're not replacing single-use plastics with products that are um, scalable from a cost standpoint and operationally uh, and so forth, um, you're not ultimately going to solve the problem. You're just transferring it somewhere else. And so, you know, a lot of what we work on, I think, is trying to trying to find the right path through all those those conflicting challenges is how do we recognize how damaging um, so many aspects of our consumer culture have become and where, where there's, you know, really profound waste and create solutions that can be scaled, you know, where customers will, you know, not have to pay more than they're willing to, where companies can afford to implement them, where they can be efficient operationally and so forth. And single-use plastics are really good at being cheap and easy to operate. And so, you know, replacing them is hard, but um, we're, you know, we're excited about the directions that, that we're, we and others have been able to take to, to start to really fix that problem. And you mentioned um, ThreadUp earlier. Who are your, who are your partners? Um, I would imagine that ranges from suppliers, manufacturers, users, yeah, we, you know, our tip, we work, generally, we work hand in hand with 
with brands, you know, companies uh, directly. And so uh, what we'll do is understand where their, you know, what their operations are today and what their interests are in moving forward. You know, we, I call it our 3P framework, which is process, participation, and packaging, uh, which is kind of reflecting that sort of systems way of thinking about packaging. So even, you know, when you order something online, it shows up at your doorstep in, in cardboard or a poly mailer bag. Um, you, you know, you might think of packaging as just being that, that bag or box, but it's really about a system. You know, how is it being shipped to you? Where is it being packed? Um, what are you as the consumer supposed to do with it? Can you recycle it locally? Are you just throwing it in the garbage? What's the process for doing that? And if you don't think about that whole system when, when redesigning packaging for clients, it's not really going to work. So, uh, our customers are ultimately the companies who are shipping you your products that you order, but it, it's always the broader ecosystem of the company and the, whoever they're shipping with, you know, whatever, the postal service or whomever, and your local municipality and what is their infrastructure. And, and so we end up working with this really broad brush group of stakeholders to replace something that seems so simple as <laughs> just a cardboard box or, or a poly bag. And where are you at with your company? When did you launch? Well, we've been doing this for three and a half years now. Um, and we, you know, the first few years were a lot of trial and error and trying to figure out what would work and what wouldn't. And then the start of last year was, was at, at the end of 2019 and into the 2020 was when we really started to see a lot of growth, which was obviously exciting for us as a company, but also I think reflected where new markets and new innovations were coming. And a lot of our customers at that time, particularly were the sort of new rental economy. So Rent the Runway might be the company that that most people are familiar with, but there's a a lot of companies that have sprung up around renting you products, particularly clothing, and sort of buying it outright. And those were sort of the perfect first group of customers uh, for us because they would ship you your rental clothing and then you'd ship it back in the same bag or box and then they could just use it over and over again. Um, and that that first wave of clients uh, allowed us to start, you know, by last year, we're already replacing millions of shipments a year in single-use packaging. And then we've, you know, both because of <laughs> and because of the, the pandemic and also as we've, you know, been able to innovate and, and look more broadly, we've started to move into other use cases. But that first group of clothing rental and, and and other kind of rental economy companies is where reusables start to really shine. Mm-hmm. We're at that midway point. We're going to take a quick music break and we shall be right back with Mike Newman. This is Artstock. Welcome back to Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. And today our guest is Mike Newman. Hi again, Mike. Hello. So tell us a little bit about uh, the materials that your reusable packaging is made from and how that all evolved. 
Well, we tend to, we, you know, we say we're material agnostic, which means um, we kind of come into each project with an open mind. Uh, but, you know, mostly we sort of historically, I guess I could say, uh, settled around a, a few sort of basic materials, in particular uh, recycled poly fabric. So it's, re it's plastic. It's a plastic fabric. It's made from recycled uh, bottles, like water bottles. Um, and it has a lot of advantages for packaging. You know, it's light, it's durable, it's waterproof, it's recyclable again into that same material. So you can keep it in a closed loop uh, format. And that, that's been really uh, effective for shipping packaging. Now, what's been really exciting for us is we've been able to start exploring new uh, materials and new uh, ways of doing that of late for, for a number of clients. And so one one thing we're doing now is working with a, a major uh, sort of outdoor gear fabric manufacturer to start using their waste fabrics, fabrics that they would have otherwise landfilled that they weren't able to use in clothing uh, or tents. And and so we're we're piloting making packaging from that. Uh, we've got our first customers going live using a natural fiber fabric. So instead of using plastic fabric, using natural fibers. Um, and that's really, you know, exciting for us as we, as we try and move past the, you know, plastic economy. Um, but every, every bagger box we make is unique because, you know, if you think about it, uh, every bagger box you tend to get is unique as well. It needs to be the right size. It has to have the right protection for whatever goods are coming to your doorstep. And, you know, as I said earlier, packaging seems sort of straightforward and simple, but in actuality, um, there's a lot of complexity behind it to make sure it's easy, cheap, light, strong, et cetera. And so, you know, from a material and design standpoint, that does mean we kind of take our toolkit and, 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 and think about each project uniquely based on what the client requires. Let's talk a little bit about um, the customer who's getting the product from the company that you're working with. What is that customer experience like? And um, what were some of the challenges that you faced. Yeah, that it, this is really where these pro programs can succeed or fail. And so, as much as its consumers complain about packaging, and you know, it's it's a real uh, I, I call returning the best cocktail party company I've ever been a part of because when you tell people you're working on replacing delivery packaging with something more sustainable, people get really excited because they're really tired of how much packaging they have to deal with, not just, you know, how visible a problem it is as far as environmental impact, but also it's just, it's a pain. You got to break all those boxes down and find a place to store them and put them out to recycle. And, um, you know, it really is a part of your day that you would be happy to get rid of. But uh, the flip side of that, of course, is that as, as much of a pain as it is for consumers, you have to create an alternative that is as simple and easy as possible. And that creates its own challenges. So, um, you know, even when consumer, so if it's if it's a rental, let's say you're you're renting something, it's shipped to you in a bagger box, and you were going to send it back anyways. You know that means that that experience is going to be almost identical with our with re reusable packaging. But if it's something you would have otherwise just kept and disposed of the packaging locally, uh, making sure the customer understands the difference, knows what they need to do, and then follows through and sends that empty shipping bagger box back. Uh, turns out to be kind of the central question. And, you know, consumers, I think, are much more sensitive today to, to environmental issues and the need to be more circular in how, how we uh, consume uh, resources. And they're certainly motivated. But even with all of that, 
you still will have uh, 30% or more of consumers who won't send back empty packaging. And oh, if you think about it, that creates its own yeah. environmental problems. So, yeah. uh, you know, reusables are more resource intensive. So if consumers then just throw it in the garbage anyways, you've created a different problem. So as simple as the solutions can be at a high level, the devil is definitely in those little details and making sure it's all done just right is, is really important. How do you motivate customers or your clients, customers, not to throw it in the garbage. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I think that, you know, our view is to, you know, I say, let's not boil the ocean. So, you know, companies reach out to us all the time because that is the most visual part of their business if they're an e-commerce business, is that packaging that their products show up in. But I tell them, you know, let's start with the places where we know this can work now. So, for, for example, for shoe or, or clothing companies, you know, a significant percentage of their orders are going to be uh, customers who buy two sizes of the same product because they just want to test, you know, try them on and see which one fits better. Uh, that's a great use case for reusables. You know, we, you already know that you're getting at least one of them back, right? I tried the size 10 and the 11. The 11 fits better. I'm sending back the 10. Perfect. Put in the reusable. It's coming back. Uh, but for a customer who's just buying a pair of socks or something, to try and get that customer to send it back is going to be hard, you know, because they're not going to be as motivated or, or think about it as much. So I think that the key is to align with how consumers already behave and to try and change as little about their behavior as possible today. And then as they get used to this and as it becomes more common, it gets easier. And so for us, it's about phasing it in with use cases where we know it can be successful and, and, and tackling the hardest problems later. Do you have any stats for us as far as, oh gosh, you know, this kind of ties into what you touched on before too, is the whole increase in e-commerce due to COVID. Can you give us some stats? It's really incredible. I mean, we, um, there were over a hundred billion parcel deliveries in the, in the, uh, globally last year. That number is expected to double to over 200 billion uh, within the next five years. And just to, you know, from the U.S. standpoint, it's enough packaging to pave a mile-wide cardboard road from New York to L.A. every single year. Uh, you know, the other statistic I use is we're now using enough packaging here in the United States to actually box the Empire State Building every 20 seconds. Hmm. So it is an incredible amount of packaging, and it's only growing and growing quickly. And consumers obviously were enjoying the convenience of having things directly delivered to their home before the pandemic. And now the whole safety factor um, has increased it. So, you know, this is, this is a challenge for everybody, for government, for companies, for consumers, that is only going to get more profound, not less. And I also noticed on your website that uh, you're participating in the National Geographic Ocean, Plas Ocean Plastic Initiative Challenge. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that that was um, that was one of the last sort of pre-pandemic able to do something in person things uh, was to be able to be in Washington for the finals of that challenge where they brought in innovative companies from around the world who were tackling the you know the the real problem of of plastic waste and and how it eventually makes its way into oceans and and. Um, and so what they did is they partnered with a number of uh, companies and they put out a call for, for 
innovations that were tackling single-use plastics and and ways to keep it out of the ocean. So um, we were one of the finalists. We were actually uh, we were won second place, which was really a great honor. And um, and really, I think it reflects this larger awareness and investment that you're seeing from companies um, who appreciate that they need to be thinking differently about how they consume goods and how they move products to consumers and how they empower their customers to take um, action uh, in sustainable and sustainable ways. And, um, and, you know, there's, there's this growing list of companies who have made public 2025 pronouncements that they will no longer use single use packaging. That's not, you know, it has to be hundred percent reusable, recyclable, or compostable by 2025. And that's a real change and a real challenge. They don't know how they're going to do it necessarily yet because not everything is ready um, or is been innovated yet, but to put, you know, these sorts of challenges, these sorts of opportunities, I think reflect where, you know, consumers should see this stuff moving towards and where companies are really investing with, with money and commitment to help make that happen. What was your uh, second place prize? Uh, we got a very, well, <laughs> it was money, which is very helpful for young companies uh, and, and recognition um, and, and the ability to work with some, some really innovative large companies. And, um, and also, I mean, just to be there and, and sort of, you know, meet all these innovators from around the world and, uh, and learn about what they're working on, uh, was just, it was just really inspiring and exciting. And, and, and part of, you know, in those early days of young companies, when you're, when you're pushing hard to, to make the thing work, to have those sorts of pause points, um, to get inspired and, and see the bigger picture is always really, really helpful. And we've probably got, oh, um, four minutes left here. And I'm hoping that uh, you can share with us what your plans are for the future. You mentioned using non-plastic natural materials. Maybe you can share a little bit more about what lies ahead. Absolutely. You know, the, I think the big change that we are working on, and not by not alone, is the ability to use local infrastructure to facilitate reuse. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, consumers might be getting familiar already with uh, buying things online and then bringing it back to a store uh, or a local drop point for a return. So let's say they didn't like the size or the fit and they can return that item uh, to a local drop point, even if it's not the same store, uh, rather than having to, you know, print out a mailing label and ship it back one at a time. And that's that's something that the, the e-commerce world has been working on for the for a few years now to create efficiency and make it easier for consumers. What I'm excited about for us this year, and 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 others are doing it as well, is to start to leverage that same type of network for you to re- return the packaging as well. So you know, rather than just relying on curbside recycling, which is always going to be hard, um, you're going to see this kind of infrastructure continue to grow and in, in these sort of circular systems that are really easy for you as a consumer to use to get your products, not just the, the product itself, but the packaging back to the retailer, to that starting point. So it can be either recycled or reused correctly. Um, these, these sort of innovations, I think, are going to really start to accelerate. And, and it's an exciting part of our, our plans for this year and beyond. And how might our listeners find you and carry on this conversation if they wish or to, um, yeah, if you're a company and you'd like to use reusables, how can folks reach you? 
Our website is it's just returnity.co. So it's R-E-T-U-R-N-I-T-Y dot C-O. Uh, we're always talking about what we're working on there and would love for people to see what we're up to. Fantastic. And thank you so much for being on Heartstock and thanks for the work you're doing. This is exciting. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. This is Heartstock Radio and we will be back next week with yet another wonderful guest. Peace. Heartstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5 Butte America Radio. Hear our programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org. As I went walking, I saw a sign.